0: Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse 16. After I have given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I pray to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong and outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give to them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. But they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this disaster come upon them. behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it, And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs offerings have been made to Baal, and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me in anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil and my sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. The city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter my mind that they shall do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And thus ends the reading of the very words, God. There's a psychologist named James Alcock, who is the professor of psychology at Glendon College, York University in Canada. He has a friend named Stan Sadeva, who is also a professor emeritus of psychology at Brock University in Canada. They came together to write the psychology book called an introduction to social psychology and if you've been to college and at least university in the past eight years you too would have had to read this book. It's around $85 you can purchase it on Amazon 656 pages and they like to cluster different ideologies and different issues and they show how all of them kind of have a common theme and one of the themes they spoke about was this dissonance. Post decision dissonance. They said this post decision dissonance refers to the psychological discomfort of inner conflict that a person may experience after deciding between multiple options. You have a choice to do this. You have a choice to do that. And and you don't really know how to make the choice. And how do you make it? If I make that choice, that means I can't make this choice. And you you have this issue. Sometimes they would go on to say it just freezes people sometimes. Because they don't know which choice to make. It causes them to second guess themselves. Did I make the right decision? Did I actually do what I thought I was supposed to do? And I thought, I had this. When I leave my driveway, and driving down the road, like, oh no, did I make the right decision? Did I close that garage door? It eats at me. Danielle will tell you, I used to, I got to go check it. I almost, almost there, so I have to go back and check, I have to go back and check. So much to the point where I got me a ring camera. And it's always facing the garage door, so I can always, always look online and make sure that my garage door is shut. Some of you may have it because it shows itself with buyer's remorse. You may purchase something and you go, oh no. I could have got a better deal somewhere else I could have gotten this right here it's this buyer's more Jeremiah has it Jeremiah gets the vision from the Lord he's told to purchase the field though it's worth nothing because the Babylonian army is about to besiege the city and he goes I'm gonna do what the Lord calls me to remember last week you left feeling like yeah Jeremiah you're not gonna feel that way this week (laughs) Jeremiah's like yes Jeremiah is on a high point. He's purchased this field. And then he goes, oh, no, what have I done? The last bit of money I have has been spent on this field that is worth absolutely nothing. God, are you sure? Are you positive I made the right decision? Isn't that the way we often feel when we step out in faith? Because you think when you step out in faith, as Pastor David talked about today, that everything's going to go smooth, right? Not necessarily it may mean God wants you to step out in faith and it may get even more difficult and more difficult here Jeremiah ends on a high note I purchased this field in faith and the next thing he does is cries out to God going are you there are you really gonna help me I know I I know you're good but I got a lot of questions and if you're taking notes there's really just two points Jeremiah's prayer and God's response. Now, I thought about so many different ways, like 10 different subpoints. That's how I counted it. And and God actually responds to him. And I was going to make this great chiastic structure. And I'm thinking, I'm going to completely fail this homiletical class because it's going to sound like a running commentary. And yes, the text is what it is. Jeremiah prays and God responds. And if you look at Jeremiah's prayer, the first thing that you see is that when he is eaten up with questions from God, it's like, God gonna be there? Did I make the right decision? Is God gonna keep his promises? The first thing he does is go to God. Matter of fact, Calvin says that whenever these thoughts creep into our minds, they toss us to and fro, we ought to flee to prayer. How many times do we flee to other people? Go online and Google search something, call a friend, and the first place we should run to is God. And you say what you want about Jeremiah, he's honest. He goes to God and he cries out, look at this. After I have been given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Nariah, he gives it to him, he prays the Lord, ah, Lord God. That Ah is a frustrating anxiety. Ted Donnelly, who is a minister in Northern Ireland, We've read one of his books, if I'm not mistaken, in our small group study. He said, the one problem people have with going to God is they're not honest. He says, be honest, God can handle it. Now, it doesn't mean you curse God. It doesn't mean you're disrespectful, but you go to God. Honestly, I don't understand this. I'm, I'm, I've got issues within my soul. I've made poor decisions. I'm mad. I'm, I'm enslaved. Sometimes I think when we go to God and we tell them, he's finally, yes, you're finally understanding. You're finally understanding. You're being honest. And if you can't go to your father in honesty, then he's not truly your heavenly father. You go to God in honesty and he's, oh, Lord God, and he cries out to God, and then this is what he says It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard from you. And this is a model prayer, just so you know. We see great prayers in the New Testament. We even see the Lord's Prayer, and we so model our prayers. This is a great model prayer for when you have an issue within your soul and you don't know what's going on you don't know how to handle the situation you don't know if you made the right decision you cry out to God honestly here's my heart but I know that you have made the heaven and the earth and nothing is too hard from you I can look at the sun the moons and the stars and because I'm a Christian and I know special revelation I can see natural revelation and I know that did not come out of nowhere I know that you have created. And every time I see and every time I breathe this oxygen you have provided, I know that you are screaming that you are the God of the universe and that you are all powerful. Then in verse 18, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. He's not saying that we are now being punished for the sins of our father. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy makes it very clear that fathers are not to be put to death because of children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. This was one of the problems that was going on within Judah. They thought, oh, my, uh, we, my parents have eaten the sour grapes and now our mouths are the ones that pucker. We're being punished because of their sin. This is not what Jeremiah is saying. What Jeremiah is saying is, you have an immutable steady character as a matter of fact you save all those who crowd to you for thousands and thousands of generations and thousands and thousands of people and if they don't repent you're gonna punish them just as much as you're gonna punish their fathers no one can say well it's not my fault I learned it from my parents that's the exact problem that Judah had, they misread Exodus, and here comes Jeremiah understanding it. He's saying, we have sin, we clearly know our sin. He says, O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. He's saying, God, you know right from wrong, You punish those who do evil and you reward those who do good. In verse 20, you have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And to this day in Israel and among all mankind you have made a name for yourself, as at this day you brought your people out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. He's recognizing that God is a God that delivers. He just recognizes that God's going to punish sin and he's going to reward those who do good. What's the next thing to think about? Well, man, I'm a great sinner, (laughs) but I know this. God rescues sinners. He delivers them. He sent his son Christ. My sins were poured out upon Christ. And if God truly loves justice, he's going to see me in Christ. That's the reason we can go to God. This is the reason we're in union with Christ because our sins and the justice of God was poured out upon Jesus and because God is just we now know that God delivers us from our sins and he and he believes this and then verse 22 and you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them and a land flow with milk and honey and they entered and took possession of it but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law they did nothing of all you commanded them to do therefore you have made all this disaster that come upon him. He also recognizes what is there is our fault. <laughs> the troubles we have now is our fault. You have delivered us, you have set us up, but we are the problem. When we're honest with God, the one thing we see is what? We're the problem. It's never God. Remember, God is all wise everything that he does and everything he ordains in your life is perfectly wise and is the best thing for you. So we recognize if there's a problem in this world, it has to be me. It's always me. It's always the sin of the world. But you, you delivered us. You saved us. You, you, you brought us places. Verse 24, behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of the sword and famine and pestilence in the city, Is given it to the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against us when you spoke what you spoke has come to pass and behold you see it if you remember last week we we spoke about siege warfare and the reason there's so much famine is because no foods allowed to come in because the army has surrounded it the reason there's pestilence is because none of the waste is allowed to go out of the city so everyone is sick and everyone is dying in the city It's a terrible place, and it makes it really easy for an army to come in and take over your city when no one has any energy to fight. Everyone's sick and everyone is dead. He says, What is taking place in our city is our fault and our fault alone. And then in verse 25, he finally gets to his petition. Do you see how much he has prayed? And he finally gets to the petition. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Commentaries typically say, you can read it two ways, but this is what he's saying, and they all agree, he's doubting. It's a little question. You kind of see the question because of the way God responds. The question is, are you sure... I did this, witnesses saw me do it, but there's a lot of Chaldeans that have surrounded this city. A little bit of doubt. And isn't it interesting in this prayer, you see his honesty, his praise of creation, his confession, calling, uh, praising God for his deliverance and salvation, his justice, his character, and he finally makes this petition. Oftentimes when we pray, we forget to praise God before we make our petitions. Have you ever sat down to pray and then the troubles that you were having are, are gone when you get up from your knees and nothing changed in the out world? The outside world didn't change, but your heart changed. Because prayer is a means of grace. It's a conduit of God's strength and his promises and his grace and his goodness. And it's given to you. Just like the supper means a grace, it will strengthen your faith if you believe. If you come in faith, believing in God's means, trusting in Christ, you will leave strengthened. When you hit your knees to pray, or you're walking down the road, or you put your headphones, or you go on a prayer walk, you're on the way to the gym and you're praying. Wherever you pray, because you pray without ceasing, that means you have to do a lot of things while you're praying. You will be strengthened. Does't mean that your situation changes. For some reason, your situation doesn't change, but your heart does. And Jeremiah cries out to God, and his situation doesn't change. He waits finally in his doubt to make that petition. And if you remember the prayers of Jeremiah prior, where he almost, I will say, got a little persnickety with God, <laughs> seems like he's grown a little in his faith. I think that's the same way you and I are. We grow in our faith. But see, God has a response. and God's going to respond to him. And what I find fascinating in this passage, as God responds to Jeremiah, he actually listens. You're going to see that Jeremiah prays, and, and there's a lot of correlation by what Jeremiah prays and how God responds. You're going to say, oh, we prayed for that, oh, we prayed for that, oh, we prayed for that. You can sit down and almost take, I wanted to, if I had a magic marker and a board, I would show you, look, he prays for this, and it goes there, it goes there, you can kind of draw the, the lines. Isn't it fascinating that God listens? We should just stop right here. God listens to us? Me? You. The God of the universe, who created the heavens and the earth, out of nothing, listens to you. Not because you're something special, not because you have great prayers. He listens to you because of Jesus Christ, his son. You are in union with him and the spirit intercedes for you. Sometimes a man prays and we don't have a clue what he's speaking about, but his heart's right. And God knows I feel that way sometimes. And maybe you feel that way sometimes. And the reality is this, when someone says, I didn't hear what you were praying. I wasn't talking to you talking to God. And God knows my heart. He knows my prayers. And he hears us. We have his ear. That should just floor you. And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson often speaks of how many times Christians live far below the privileges that we have. The fact that we can go to God. You know, pagans, they know there's a God, but they don't have the ear of God. Christians do. And he hears us. And he listens to us. And we so don't take advantage of this like we should. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. God answers Jeremiah and says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? This is reminiscent of how Jesus answered John the Baptist's doubt. Could you ask Jesus if he's the one or should we look for another? You know, Jesus didn't say, excuse me, I am he, let him know. What did Jesus say? Jesus spoke in code. He says, tell him the, the blind see and the lame walk. That's code language, for what? Remember that guy you read about in Isaiah? That's me. This is code talk here. What's the code? How do you crack the code? Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah knew exactly what God was saying. God is quoting Genesis 18. God is quoting the very fact that when it seemed that all the promises were done, it seems that all the promises have failed Abraham. There was no seed that was going to come. Sarah's old. He's got this promise to have a son. There's going to be no Messiah. There's going to be no Jesus Christ coming. All the promises of God are done. This is what Jeremiah felt. Oh, These promises of you, are they really real? Are they real? Are you really going to do everything you promised? When all was said and done, when Abraham thought nothing could happen, he gets these three visitors in Genesis 18 and he says, Sarah is going. A son. Remember what Sarah does? She laughs. She's like, crazy. She basically says, I'm old. I am too old to have a son. And the Lord said to Abraham, why is Sarah laughing? Is anything too hard for me? This is code speak. He's telling Jeremiah, do you remember what I did in the past? Is anything too hard for me? I brought Isaac out of nothing. When it seemed that the promises of God had failed, what does God do? Creates a baby. That's what he does. This is God's M-O. When you think all hope is lost, God does his work. Sometimes he does his best work when you think all hope is lost. Lost. He's telling Jeremiah, the ten tribes that are lost, this has got to be Jeremiah's thought. How on earth is God going to bring back these ten tribes? They don't even exist. The Assyrian army and the Assyrian nation has eradicated them, they have bred them out. We don't even have a king. God says, Is anything too hard for me? They're all about to go into exile. And he reminds Jeremiah, there's nothing too hard. And if there's anything that you can grab from this passage tonight, is there anything too hard for me? God is telling you that. Whatever situation that you're in, whatever turmoil you're going through, even with our building, you know why we don't have a building yet? Because God hasn't decided us to have one yet. Now I'm with... Dave. I don't, I don't know the timeline of God. And sometimes you want to kick the door down and it just doesn't work out. But we're not God. But I know this. If he wants to, he, he can snap and make it happen. This is the power of our God. Nothing is too difficult for our Lord. In your own life, in your own faith, you need to remember that. Oh no. How is, how is such and such going to happen? How is this going to happen? You remember. Is anything too difficult for me? Remember, Jeremiah doubted. Jeremiah doubted. And you can identify with Jeremiah's doubt. And you can identify with John the Baptist's doubt. You can understand that. And then God's going to tell you, is anything too difficult for me? I'm the God of all flesh. I created Isaac from Abraham and Sarah. God did that. God brought about the promises when no one else thought he could. You know, I think about doubting and making decisions. And I have to bring up Psalm 34. I don't know if you have ever read Psalm 34. That's the one that says taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a very unique psalm because King David makes a very poor decision. He goes to Gath when Saul is chasing him and Gath is not a very good place to go because that's where Goliath is from. And if you know about David, he beat this guy named Goliath. He was really big and strong. Goliath had four other brothers and he goes to the king of and he's running away, and it's not a very smart decision, King David. He fears for his life, and he acts mentally handicapped, and this is what the title of the psalm's about. And I'm always reminded that God gives us grace for our C-minus decisions. People often come to me, and they'll come to all the elders, and Pastor David will tell you, the officers will tell you, people go, I need to make a decision. I don't know which one to make. You know what I tell them? You're probably going to make the wrong one either way. <laughs> Where would we be without God's grace for our C-minus decisions? Where would we be? Jeremiah, none of us get this vision like Jeremiah gets when he bought the field. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if we got visions like Jeremiah, We'd probably disobey, it'd be worse for us. But we don't know often, and we live by faith. And we know this as we live, God gives us grace for most of our C-minus decisions, and we know that God can do anything. And we trust Him. And God continues to speak to Jeremiah, and He's going to tell him about the sin of the people. And I'm going to read about five verses that deal with a lot of sin. Therefore, thus says the Lord: Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. The Chaldeans who are fighting against this city shall come and set this city on fire and burn it, with the houses on whose roof offerings have been made to Baal, and drink offerings have been poured out to other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in the sight from their youth. The children of Israel have done nothing but provoke me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Do you hear the echoes? God is saying, yes, you're absolutely right. They were wicked. And if you look at verse 30, God says what? Your interpretation of Exodus 20, verse 6 is absolutely right. Children have sinned. Look at verse 30. The children of Israel and the children of Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Not one of the youth could say, it's not my fault kids even if you're little kids you have to deal with your own sin you have to take that to Jesus you can't say well my parents made me do it no 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 you sin because you wanted to you have to confess your sin and I'm praying and hoping that we have more kids coming to the table and understanding that the blood of Jesus cleanses them from their sin they come to the table because they understand what? What's the one rule we have? You got to be a sinner. <laughs> you have to own your own sin. And children in this passage from their youth were participating in the sin. And they could not say it was my parents' fault. No. It's their fault. We teach our kids. This is why we bring them to church and pray for them. God can regenerate a kid in the, in the womb and he can regenerate them at a young age. And I pray and hope that we have some kids, as they get older, come to the table. It's such a beautiful thing, but they need to understand their sin. And you teach your kids, say, listen here, your sin needs to be taken to Jesus, needs to be taken to the cross. And look at verse 33, as God continues to respond to Jeremiah. They have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. Their posture shows their heart. Do you know which character has yet to be mentioned in Jeremiah's prayer or God's response? Pretty important character in scripture, the devil. You know why the devil's not mentioned? Because the devil doesn't make your heart evil. The way the devil tempts you is he tempts you with your own heart. The wicked and evil desires of your heart, Satan uses those. He doesn't have to create them inside of you because he uses the very things that are inside of your heart by nature. See, the problem was always their heart. They turned their backs to the Lord instead of their faces because they had wicked and evil hearts. This is the reason The new covenant was so important because their hearts would be different. The power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead would be living inside of them. They would be living differently. They would love differently. They would have a lot more information than we have because they would know who Jesus is by name. And in verse 34 and 35, they set up their abominations in the house that is called by name, my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal and the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. What a, what a wicked people. They literally set up high places so people could offer their kids to Moloch. And if you know what that means, Moloch had his arms spread out and there was a fire building. It was basically a big chimney and they rolled them down the chimney and the children died. And the reason there were so many drums played at those moments and at those ceremonies is to cry out, the cries of the children and the women. This is how wicked they had become. Remember, the promises were offered to who? To them and their children. And instead of raising their children up, they would offer them to Molech. And, and I think most of you are probably like me. You're like, that's not, that's not cool. You, you talk to a pagan, and they're going to say, that's not right. Even secularists, those who are conservative politically, but they name out to be Christians. You see a lot of that on like the Daily Wire and other people. They'll agree. We don't kill babies. But then they'll say, well, if someone steals a lollipop, I mean, that's not as bad. See, they don't understand the holiness of God. One little sin can cause you to perish forever. If you don't take that one little sin, And you take it to Christ. Or as Bobby said in the reading of the law, I believe two weeks ago, it's that one little sin that causes that spark that creates the whole entire forest fire from your mouth that comes from deep within your heart. One little sin can. Because God is holy, that one little sin can cause us to perish forever. And he takes those sins and he, what? Pours them upon Christ. Even the littlest of sin was poured out upon Christ. Christ. This is the seriousness of sin. And I'm sure, if you read through Jeremiah and you've been listening, they didn't start with the worship of Molech. They probably started with that little tiny idol sitting in their house. Ah, just in case he's right. Just in case, let's put him there. And the next thing you know, they're enslaved and they're sacrificing their children. Which brings us to our closing. I don't have time to preach the rest of God's response, but it's all positive. I wanted to end on a positive note. And I'll just use verse 38. As wicked as these people are, God says, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Even though they're being disciplined, even though they're in Babylon, God says, they're still my people. I have disciplined them And they're my people. See, when when we are disciplined, it's because He loves us. When our sins are judged in Christ, it's because He loves us. And we we can be sure of that. When we take the supper tonight, you can be sure that God, though He is angry at sin, is no longer angry because He judged Christ. And it's a blessing that we now can live differently because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the word as we prepare for the Lord's Supper.